Broadcasting live from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio. This is Unnecessary Roughness. Caught at the 20. Racing near sideline 10. Turn of the 5. Touchdown Raiders. The crowd applauds because Las Vegas just win, baby. Unnecessary Roughness on Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. Here's your boy Q. You know, the reason I love the Sam and Ash text line 69187 keyword R&R is because people could chime in and respond or, or, or bring up something that we're not talking about, and all of a sudden it opens up a rabbit hole that's really fun to go down, like the last conversation we just had ended up talking about Ronald Curry. I didn't start the show thinking we were going to talk about Ronald Curry, but here we are, and we've had so many text messages about Ronald Curry. So now let's go out to the phone line and bring in our good friend Lincoln Kennedy, former Raider offensive lineman, also part of the Raiders radio network, and... And Lincoln, man, it's crazy that also we started talking about your former teammate and Ronald Curry, and I started thinking about that one-handed catch he had in Denver in the snow. Uh, what are your thoughts on Ronald Curry when you hear that name, man? What do you think of? Wait, was that Ronald Curry? I thought that was Jerry Porter. Was it Jerry Porter? Was it? Was it? No, was I thought it was Curry? Curry. I think that was Curry. That I know, yeah, it was Curry that caught that pass, that one-handed okay. pass. I, 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 I might be thinking of a different game, but I thought I saw one in the snow in Denver and Porter went up a guy. Anyways, um, you know what? Here, here's the thing. Ronald and I, I knew Ronald, um, but I didn't really know him well. Um, and, you know, we were teammates back in the day. But um, uh, when I'm trying to think of individual moments that stood out, I, I, it's not one that comes comes to mind, though. That's the problem. Uh, why, why was he in the, Why were you guys talking about him? We we didn't we didn't mean to. Someone just texted in and said, um, you know, they said that a, a name that's been forgotten with the Raiders is Ronald Curry, and and then Mike Taylor hit me up and it reminded me that he's the passing game coordinator right now in uh, in New Orleans, and so we started going down this rabbit, rabbit hole about Ronald Curry. <laughs> <laughs> that's interesting. <laughs> that's funny. Uh, that uh, well, I know Mike T is, is a, a, our local historian. He knows everything. So, uh, but uh, that's funny. That Ronald's name came up. That's interesting. Yeah, that that uh, that was in two thousand. That was in two thousand and four. So I guess you weren't there for that one. No, I wasn't there, but I, okay. was, I remember seeing some film of it because we, you know, back in the day, it was hard for us to win at Denver. Yep. Uh, especially during my time there. Yeah, no, I, I remember, and and that's and when you mentioned Jerry Porter, I thought I was I thought I remember Jerry Porter having a pretty big performance and a pretty big game in the snow there in Denver. But yeah, two thousand and four. Yeah. He, okay. There you go. Well, we're we're all together now, Lincoln. We're good. We got our our our, uh, our fix of Ronald Curry out for the day. So. Okay. Good. I'm I'm glad you got you got that satisfied. <laughs> yeah. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm feeling good about myself now, Lincoln. We we know the initial 53 man roster. It came out on Tuesday when we yeah. talked to you. Now that the dust has settled a little bit. There's obviously going to be more changes. How does how does the coaching staff really start to put it together as far as, okay, this is how we're going to approach the regular season. It's no longer training camp. Now it's regular season practice. Well, they've already had a theme. They've already had a plan. I mean, you know, just based on the rules, there's only so much you can do. You know, if you have a padded practice, you have to have the next day off. That's how it was in training camp now. Now, I don't know if they're still doing this, Q, but back in the day, right before I left the game, we had a certain number of padded practices that we could have throughout the year. And so coaches, coaches kind of spaced those out amongst the normal workload. Um, and I remember that there was a time where we just went out there in shoulder pads and helmets and we had like thud motion so where you could do nine on seven and those types of things. But you didn't have to get like totally physical. You weren't trying to go down to the ground, so you weren't trying to kill each other. But those are in one on one, so those were the things. So I think the thing has changed like that. But, you know, knowing, watching this coaching staff over the time of training camp and preseason up until this point, 
they've had a theme, they've had a plan all along. They 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 know when to give their guys rest or feel to give their guys rest, especially with this the heat that you're, we're both having. I live in Phoenix, you live in Vegas, and you see how hot it is in these yeah. both these places. So, uh, you know, dealing with that. But more importantly, make sure you get some work in, and you're not just standing idle for you know 17 days to your next game, that type of thing. You know, one thing that you've consistently said throughout the course of the offseason, training camp, and, and even the preseason is practicing what you preach and, and talking yep. about the coaching staff in the front office. They have four guys that are undrafted free agents on the 53-man roster, and DJ Turner is also on the 53-man roster. So really five guys that were undrafted free agents. What does that tell you about this coaching staff in front office when there's that many guys that have made the 53-man roster that were undrafted? Well, I think it was Dave Ziegler who told us when they took over, they only had 37 guys signed under contract. Mm-hmm. You see what I mean? You're talking about a 53-man roster. So not only are you talking about you have to scout or go out and find bodies to fill the rest of those spots to make a complete roster, but you got to make sure they're good and they can, they're good at what they do and they're good within your system. And I think that's what we, we've seen with some of the cuts and the, you know, the transitions that have been made. This is a new coaching staff that wants to do things their way. They don't care about the past roster. They're not into it. They really wanted guys to work hard and work you know, to make the team, and I think they saw that out of the preseason. What didn't have to take a lot of starters to have success, but now you're thinking the sky is up, and you can't wait to get moving because once you put those starters in there, you're hoping that you click as well as you did in preseason. How much of an advantage, if any, is it now that the practice squad has been expanded to 16 players and you could have four veterans? I guess it's an advantage of numbers. I've always said that, you know, they're talking about more and more guaranteed, true guaranteed money. Well, in order to have guaranteed money, you're going to have to extend the roster. And the thing is, is that you've got to have people who are capable of playing. Um, you know, pretty much you look at some positions, they've got one and a half deep, or like for offensive line, you'll carry either eight or offensive linemen into the regular season for every game, when sometimes you need 10. Sometimes you might need 11. You see what I'm saying? You probably yeah. need those extra bodies. So to have the practice squad is where it is, is a start but I still think and I still think that they need to increase the overall roster the active day roster because guys just aren't aren't made to stand withstand 17 games talking right now with Lincoln Kennedy here on Unnecessary Roughness Radio Nation Radio 920 and you know I've asked you multiple times about the offensive line uh, the continuity how they have to come together we think we have an idea who's going to be the starting five based off the, <laughs> the cut downs we don't really know but can they now start to gel now that we somewhat have an idea I would only hope so. I mean, I, I still firmly believe that the way that offensive linemen are going to be together or play well together is to play together. Yeah. And though it's not, you know, it's not a, a, a written rule where it's, a, you know, like a, like a, a scripture or something like that. It's one of those things where you, you sit there and say that the longer these guys have the chance to work together, to play together, the better they'll be. And that's just how, in my experience, offensive lines are made. I mean, we, we hung together off the field, went to dinners, you know, had pizza, watched Thursday night football over each other's houses. We used to do all that, befriend other families and stuff. That's what I think that this group needs to do. I, I think they need to be as close as that because they're going to be together, you know, and they, they're going to have to battle together. How long did it take you, I guess that's not the right way of saying it, but how did you know when you felt like, okay, we, we are one unit, we're where we need to be? When you go into a hostile place and you come away with a big win. Okay. That's fair. When you talk about the, the difficulties for offensive line, just in general, um, communicating in loud stadiums mm-hmm. against good teams, and you, you come away with a win, you can walk off the field and be like, okay, we got this. We're all right. 
You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's, it's things like that. Your running back rushes for 200 yards. Okay, we got this. You're, you're feeling good. Your quarterback doesn't get touched, and you don't have a lot of penalties. Okay, you know, we got this. We're, we're good to go. It's things like that, instances like that, that really bring you together, especially as an offensive line, and it makes, it makes you stronger. There's nothing more that an offensive lineman likes to do is celebrate, like either a big run or pushing in on the goal line or even, you know, capping it off with a winner to, to be able to walk off the field. Talking right now with Lincoln Kennedy here on Raider Nation Radio 920. And last week we were talking to Steve Wisniewski, and I asked him about, you know, when everybody in the stadium knows that you're going to run the ball, you're trying to salt out the game, you're going to run, 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 and they can't stop it. How satisfying is that for an offensive lineman? And he just started to laugh. So for you, Lincoln, how did that feel when they just couldn't stop you? Oh, it's like it's, it's, it's almost imagining a big pig rolling around in mud, just as happy as hell, fat and happy. I mean, that, 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 that is the thing, and I've had it instances, I've had the fortune of being on offenses and instances where, you know, a quarterback is called, we're running right here, right here. Come and stop it, you know. And so you, you, you didn't say it much on the next level, but in college we sure enough had some fun with it. And, and then when you're able to have fun with it on the, on the pro level, it's even more fun. Yeah, Lincoln, about running the ball and getting to that second level, Raider Dave in Denver, he asked me to ask you about the offensive line and how much does getting to that second level from the offensive lineman's perspective help the running game? Well, it depends on defining second level. So um, most people think the second level is where safeties and, and corners and stuff like that, that is, okay, which is fine. Some people actually think it's linebackers. You think the, offense, the defensive line is first level, second level, and then third level. It depends on how you define it. But I will say this. In order to maximize the run game, you have to block what we call the front seven, and that is the down linemen and the linebackers. If you block the box and you force safeties to make tackles, you're doing something positive because they're either making tackles five to seven yards or even greater away than the, from, the offense, from the line of scrimmage, and that's what you want. You want to block the box. You want to take care of the front seven, and that's, that's your foremost priority. So when you see centers close to the line and they're, they're talking about who's Mike and whatever it is, they're actually assigning blocking skills. They're, they're assigning blocking sets and, uh, and, and techniques uh, by finding out who's got, you know, who a tandem block is going to pick up this linebacker and defensive end or defensive lineman, that type of thing. So it's, it's, more, it's better put in words when you say block the box rather than the, the second level. I'm glad you brought up the center and talk about the communication and the blocking schemes. What have you seen from Andre James? How much have you seen him grow? He was just a starter last year. Well, for somebody who didn't play a lot of center, it came a long way. You think about it. He's finally got it. You know, last year he had issues with getting snap up there, fumbled a couple times, and, and caused some little turnovers. But this year he's been solid in the time he's in there. But more importantly, just understanding the scheme. So I know him and Derek have got a great relationship um, uh, and, and a partnership. And it was one thing that, you know, in the past, Derek's had the liberty to be able to change the play with the check with me type of system. I don't know if he'll so much have that this time, but I do know that they, they do things to the strength of the formation or the strength of the defense. So sometimes they can, they can audible and calls, when a run is scheduled to go left, they can uh, alternate and just audible and have it go right, the same run go right. Talking right now with Lincoln Kennedy here on Unnecessary Roughness, Raider Nation Radio 920. You know, one word that I heard a lot during training camp from the defensive side of things, the offensive side of things, all the coaches, even players, is communication, communication, communication. From your spot in the booth sitting next to Jason Horowitz, how much were you able to see that communication going on on the field during preseason? Well, they did a good job at blocking the box, and that's where the communication first starts. Not only just picking up blitzes and stuff like that, but the communication uh, of, of blocking the box with runs. 
So to come up there, and there's a lot of there's a lot of nonverbal communication that you'll gather when you play next to a guy over and over again, or you practice next to a guy. There's sometimes you don't need to even say anything. You know that you know, hey, we got a tandem block to the next level, or you know, we, we've got I've got this person if he blitzes that type of thing. But the communication has been crisp. There haven't been a lot of mistakes, mm-hmm. and that's what's surprising because you know, for the most part, you know, of course we saw what we think is going to be the majority of the offensive line in there. Uh, um, uh, you know, the start season um, during preseason, there hasn't been. You know, Colton Miller hadn't played, and you know, didn't have a clear cut of who's going to be the right tackle. So um, there's still a lot of stuff that needs to be desired. But from what we've seen so far out of the four preseason games, it's been pretty clean. How much do you think Colton Miller, when he does start, obviously playing on on September 11th against the Chargers, when he finally gets out there into action, him being who he is, that rocket, that left tackle position, how much will that help the rest of the guys along the line? A ton. A ton because you're going to feel confident, and when you when you look, the thing is, is the offensive line is about accountability, and if all five guys are accountable to one another and they play at the best of their level, things will be fine. That means they got to learn the scheme, they got to know what they're supposed to do, and they got to be able to defeat their man. A majority of the plays, understand the defensive side is going to make plays every now and then, but you want to limit that. And the thing is, is that you, you know, as I said before, one of the key rules I had as a law offensive lineman is that you never get beat by the same move twice. So the, the Colton is that, that, that pillar of consistency, that rock that you're talking about, that has been a mainstay of left tackle. It's one position you haven't had to worry about because he's been there and he's played hurt and he's played well at, a, at an all-pro level. It's the rest of the guys that need to kind of catch up or get up to that level, and I think they'll, they'll definitely do it. Yeah, Lincoln, when it comes to the offensive line and the communication and being one unit, we had Mike Clay from ESPN earlier on the show, and in his rankings for positional groups, he had the Raiders offensive line ranked 30th. But maybe they could finish and get better. But how long did it take for you guys as a team to find that stride during the season where it's like, hey, maybe you didn't start off the season looking good, but around week six or week seven that you felt like you were in a good groove? Uh, it really depends. The, I mean, think it, it, when you think about it, it's um – and I'm thinking back some of the years. It, it, it t- first of all, it comes down to scheme and then execution. You got to have the right uh, scheme for the players that you have on the roster. So what I mean by that is that you know if you're not a good screen team, you don't want to call screens. You know what I mean? That type of thing. If you're not a good draw team, don't call draws. Um, you, you try to see usually offensive line, usually offensive uh, coaches try to open up their playbook as much as possible in the beginning of the season because they want to give the opposing defenses tons to look at. But sometimes stuff just doesn't work. And your your personnel is not conducive for it, so it's really hard to say when it comes around, when it gels. But you know, you're always better. You're you're more applicable to be coached or appreciative to be coached if uh, if uh, you know you have a win. It comes on a win rather than coach you know chewing you out because you lost. Talking to Lincoln Kennedy here, and just only have a couple more questions for you. But you mentioned the screen game, and we saw the screen game executed quite a bit in the in the preseason, especially early on. Uh, why do you think that the screen game wasn't called in previous years, where I feel like this team is a good screen team? No, that's one of the biggest questions. I remember a couple of years ago, um, well, it was actually last year, you know, when uh, Basaccio took over and they went up to Denver, they called a screen to Josh Jacobs, and I think it went, they went for a score. And I stood up and I was clapping, you know, because <laughs> I was like, it's about damn time. I've been wanting this team to be a good screen team, but I don't necessarily know why it wasn't called. Sometimes it's not part of people's offenses, a big part of people's offenses. Um, I, I know that when, when I played for Gruden and Callahan was actually the, the, you know, the run game coordinator, mm-hmm. Gruden didn't necessarily like to call a lot of strength. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, sorry. Sorry about that. Uh, Gruden didn't necessarily like to call a lot of screens, but Callahan wanted to put it part of the offense because it helped slow down the rush and the, a lot, the a lot of teams that like to blitz. 
Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And, again, I saw the early success in the preseason. Of course, it can't go – can't be your bread and butter all the time, but it, no, it's like no, something no, that can, yeah, definitely be be used uh, quite a bit and be successful. I feel like this team has a big opportunity for that. Well, Lincoln, I wanted to ask you, this has nothing to do with football. Uh, we saw Venus – or not Venus, excuse me, Serena Williams last night advanced to round three. She'll play uh, tomorrow in the U.S. Open. Her and Venus are about to take the court right now uh, for doubles. Uh, are you locked in on this as I'm locked in or no? Well, yeah, I'm locked in because it's it's something to be, you know, definitely celebrated. Serena has been at the top of her game for, you know, two decades like Tom Brady. Right. You know, if he, if she if he can have a somewhat farewell tour, so, so can she. But I don't know if Tom Brady's going to leave the game. I know Serena is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, I'll tell you what, man, it was a lot of fun seeing her win and defeat yeah. the number two in the in, in the world last night and advance to Friday, and who knows what's going to happen. But uh, I've been enjoying every minute of it. So, uh, Lincoln, we definitely appreciate you as always, my man. Thanks so much for your time. Great stuff. Uh, we'll catch up with you next week. Sounds like a plan, my man. You guys be good. Have a All good right, weekend. will do. There he goes. Lincoln Kennedy, the great Lincoln Kennedy, uh, former Raider offensive lineman and obviously current uh, broadcast booth partner with Jason Horowitz. He does the color commentary. He does a great job on the Raiders radio network. And I had to get that question in about Serena because her and Venus are about to take the court right now. And you know what that means, DeMond? That means it's lock-in time. I got I to gotta pay attention to what's going down. I mean, this is something. I'll tell you right now, DeMond, I mentioned doing – Radio last night with uh, Freddie Coleman. We did a four-hour show. Four hours and three and a half hours. No, three hours and 40 minutes were all Serena Williams. Three hours and 40 minutes. So, I mean, what were you guys talking about around the show? How were you for the show? What do you mean? Was it all just Serena talk? I mean, yes. you said, like, so yes. the entire show, that's what you meant. Yeah. I thought you just meant show. like you were just watching it. No, whole... no, no. It was over probably about 30 minutes into the show. But it was... It was, we literally talked about Serena for about three hours, probably three hours and 30 minutes. Let me go ahead and, yeah, there we go. We gave, we gave 15 minutes to, tonight was your night, bro. And then the other, uh, other 15 minutes was, I think, Lamar Jackson talk or something. I mean, some, it was, it was all Serena all night long. And it was fantastic. It was four hours, pretty much of different ways to talk about the greatest to ever do it on the tennis court in Serena Williams. It was great. It was fantastic. So I'm in my zone. <laughs> well, I mean, we got what ten minutes? About ten minutes before Rich Eisen. Yeah, so, I mean, the floor is yours. I mean, nah. we got a good ten minutes. Now nah, that she <laughs> hasn't, she hasn't got started yet. Her and Venus are about to take the court right now, as uh, in a doubles match, and uh, I'm excited about this because that this is how it really all started with Venus kicking open the door and uh, and then Serena knocking it all down, and obviously they did their thing as doubles for a very long time. So I'm excited to see what's about to happen on the court right now, the U.S. Open going on in New York. 418 is the time. We'll take a quick break. As DeMond mentioned, we have Rich Eisen calling into the show at 430 to talk about the NFL, but talk all things Raiders because he's been very high on the silver and black for a while now. This is Raider Nation Radio 920. You're listening to Unnecessary Roughness with your boy Q on Raider Nation Radio. Expected to hear from Rich Eisen coming up in about uh, about eight minutes here on Unnecessary Roughness, Radio Nation Radio 920. Looking forward to that. You can hear his show, The Rich Eisen Show, from 10 to noon right here on Radio Nation Radio 920. He comes on right after the morning tailgate and right before JT the Brick. Got a text on the Salmon Ash text sign, 69187, keyword R&R from Vegas Pete. Serena's great, but nobody cares about tennis. Talk football, Q, LOL. Appreciate you. <laughs> 
Good one. Don't get me in trouble, Vegas Pete. Don't get me in trouble. You get the uh, you get the natives restless, my man. Uh, Robin Oakland said Ronald Curry played quarterback and point guard at UNLC and UNC. He came to the Raiders as a quarterback. Al eventually converted him to wide receiver. He got good when changed his weightlifting routine to develop a wide receiver body. He made some good plays for us. He absolutely did, and he actually signed a pretty good little free agent deal. Um, let's see. Raider Jay from Sacramento. He played for the squad. Uh, let's see. What else? Got a text from Nick out of the Valley of the Sun. Q, you love what you do. You ain't never working. And do we all remember Ricky Dudley? He was a beast when he caught the ball. Key word being when he caught the ball. Peace from Nick out of the Valley of the Sun. Remember, DeMond, we were just talking about Ricky Dudley last week when I was talking about the reunion. It's cool. I like the fact that the Raiders have this reunion thing going on, you know, and this uh, alumni weekend because all of a sudden it starts bringing up you know, memories of older Raiders and just like the text brought up Ronald Curry and all of a sudden it led into a big old conversation. So uh, that was really cool. Lincoln Lincoln didn't have a whole lot of memories of Ronald Curry, but he did talk about Jerry Porter and the catches that he made in, against Denver. And uh, my guy Stephen Lyon actually tweeted at me, enjoying the show. Porter had a crazy one too, talking about a catch in Denver. He said he schooled Champ Bailey that day. Remember saying Champ got chumped. And uh, I remember that as well. Uh, Jerry Porter did have a game where he just dominated against Champ Bailey. I mean, dominated him. And it was up in Denver. It was in the snow. And it was one of those where, because Champ Bailey was so damn good, you thought, okay, he's not going to, you know, he's, 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 it's going to be tough for anyone to have a big game. And uh, Jerry Porter just dominated him. I remember that one. That's a good one. So, Steven, thank you so much for that tweet. I do appreciate you. Uh, Sir Whiskey Ray said, Q&D, this Thirsty Thursday talk has me already thinking happy hour. As we know, it's happy hour somewhere, right? To answer your question, I'm going to flip it and say I hope all four undrafted free agents that made the current 53-man roster. So we're talking about who's going to have the most production. He said he hopes all four. I really hope they all equally produce on above-average level. If all four players can ball out here early in the season, I'm not going to complain. Wishing them much success and production here in 2022. Again, that's from Sir Whiskey Ray. And, you know, you, you just don't know. Going back to the text that we got about who's going to get the most playing time, you don't know if they're – you know, who's going to get that playing time, what they're going to be doing, and, you know, how much production they can get. But, yeah, man, that's something to look forward to. you got a lot of young talent on the squad that you believe has an opportunity to be really good. And, again, being undrafted free agents, they're on very team-friendly deals, and they're under control for the next, you know, four years. And, you know, I know Vinny always brings up the Rams because, you know, whenever you come from somewhere else, you, you bring up what you know. So Vinny comes from Southern California, so he brings up the Rams. Well, the Rams do exactly what I'm talking about as far as have a guy, get a guy at a lower level like an undrafted free agent or, you know, a late-round pick and develop him. And then when it's time for him to be a free agent, let him walk, like Corey Littleton, for example. Remember, Corey Littleton was supposed to be the dude when the Raiders signed him to a big money deal, and he was playing well in L.A. with the Rams. And I guess it's a little easier to play really well when you have a guy like Aaron Donald in front of you, but he did play really well. And the way that they played him, he played really well. He was an undrafted free agent. Think about that. He was an undrafted free agent. He worked his way up through special teams, got on the, on the field, and became something and ended up being a high-dollar high free agent that the Raiders signed. And obviously it didn't work out with them, but that's that's what happens a lot of times with free agents, right? Guys leave the certain system that they're good at, good at, they'll go somewhere else for a big ticket, and it ends up not working out. So Corey Littleton had to move on from him, but he got his payday because of the success he had in L.A. with the Rams as an undrafted free agent. So there's so many examples of that kind of you know that kind of activity, and even even guys that were drafted. And they, they, they succeed at one place, then all of a sudden they become a free agent and they're allowed to walk. 
and you wonder why they're allowed to walk, and then all of a sudden they don't, they don't perform as well when they go somewhere else. And, you know, the, the latest example of that, and who knows how it's going to play out, but J.C. Jackson, right? I mean, he was an undrafted free agent, played really well in New England, has all kind of production as far as interceptions goes. I had no understanding why. I still, to this day, on September 1st, I have no problem telling you, not sure why Bill Belichick and the Patriots let him walk, except for they didn't want to pay him that big-time money that he got from the Chargers. And they were comfortable with letting him go. Now, I, you know, I kind of question that. But, hey, Belichick has earned the right to, to, to make that decision. And, and, again, if you're a team and you're allowed to, you know, and you develop guys, you have that luxury of saying, hey, we got talent behind this cat. We can let him go for the big money, and then we can, uh, and then we can go ahead and develop a guy behind him. So uh, that's, that's just – we'll see how it all shakes out uh, in L.A. with, with – uh, with J.C. Jackson, but that was always a strange one to me that they let him walk with as much production as he has, especially intercepting the ball, creating turnovers. Let's get a quick call in before we talk to our guy, Rich Eisen. Let's talk to Raider Mac. Welcome to the show. What's on your mind, brother? Hey, Q. I know, man, I'm so excited for the season next week, next Sunday. Uh, man, it's going to be – hey, we're going to be at the game. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be – it's going to be a Raider Nation all blackout in that, at, that, at, at SoFi Stadium. Hey, Quick question on the on the O line, and uh, I just wanted to know, they have they told you guys what the starting five gonna be yet? No, no, we're just we're just uh, guesstimating based off what we're seeing right now and the guys that made the roster and who didn't. To me, that's a kind of I'm kind of a little nervous about that because um, I thought like me, you, and um, uh, what's the name said uh, that they needed some. They needed to be together and play at least one game together, and I, it never happened. And I'm kind of nervous because you're playing against two great pass rushers. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, Lincoln Lincoln said, you know, it took a while. Hey, and also on Ronald Curry, he was, if you guys didn't know, he was the best athlete in Virginia. And, you know, Michael Vick and a lot of other guys yeah. came out. Not only did he win the, the National Football Player, High School Player of the Year, but he won the high school basketball He's the only high school player to ever do that. He won both the basketball and the uh, and the football national. So I uh, tell Demond he can't get man. Hey, Curry will whip him up. I don't know about <laughs> now, but but Curry was he, hey, he was a beast. He was a straight beast. And not only that, he won the McDonald's MVP in the all in the McDonald's All Star game. Yeah. So. Leave that guy alone. When I come to high school, he's probably the best. They rated him as the best high school player uh, in the United States ever. Go look it up. I mean, that kid was just great. Too bad it didn't transform into uh, with the Raiders. But I- I'll let you go, Q. Hey, I, Rich, you tell Rich Tyson the Raider Nation loves him because he's the only one that's picking up the win. All right, will do. And uh, thank you for that call. And we're anticipating Rich Eisen to call us uh, any second now. We definitely appreciate you, Raider Mac. And, uh, yeah, it's funny. Um, Damon was doing a bunch of research on Ronald Curry. Again, we went down this rabbit hole that we had no idea that we were even going there. And he found all, all his recruiting information and how highly rated he was. And you're spot on with everything that you said. Uh, so big ups to you, man. That's, that's a lot of good details. Starting point guard 
uh, he, he was a hell of a basketball player and uh, did everything he could uh, on the football field as well. So uh, thank you so much for that call. We do appreciate you. Now, joining us on the phone line, as promised, from the Rich Eisen Show, heard here on Radio Nation Radio 920 from 10 to noon, is Rich Eisen. And, Rich, thank you so much for your time, my man. It's, it's been a, a, a pleasure getting to talk to you, getting to know you, and seeing you in Canton, Ohio for Cliff Branch. And let's start there. How, how fantastic was that celebration for Cliff Branch in Canton, Ohio? Well, I mean, whenever uh, two men um, can meet one another and then watch Diana Ross sing, it's forever, you know. <laughs> so I think we're forever, quite honestly now. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. I do, and that's that's true. Diana Ross was fantastic, and that was just a really good time. And as I mentioned before, man, I definitely uh, appreciate you and everything oh, you've sure. been saying. So uh, you know this this season and leading up to this season about the Raiders, and we just had a call from our guy Raider Mac and said, "Hey, tell Rich Eisen we appreciate him because he's been talking about the Raiders, been talking him up before anyone else." What made you believe that the Raiders were going to be a really good team early before anyone else was on this uh, this train? I just love Max Crosby. I love um, Derek Carr. I love Darren Waller. Um, I love Hunter Renfro. I love, um, you know, the additions of, of Adams and um, Chandler Jones. I mean, the Raiders, you could make the case, added two future Hall of Famers to their roster that um, came closest uh in the AFC to knocking off the, the, the Bengals, you know, I mean, um, I know Cincinnati came, you know, at, at tough games in Tennessee and obviously Kansas city, but they're, you know, the Raiders had an opportunity with the ball to, you know, um, stay alive in the playoffs. And I, I, I just like the way they finished. And last year with a, disastrous season that could have unfolded with John Gruden's firing and departure and then what happened with Henry Ruggs the third and how the team stuck together and with Rich Bisaccia made the playoffs and played one of the most remarkable final games of a regular season and then uh, like I said uh, uh, kept kept on keeping on despite numbers upon numbers of issues that they were thrown their way and uh, as Derek Carr said in his press conference turning down the uh, opportunity to give a new news cycle to Dana White's revelation <laughs> um, you know uh, that, that hopefully the drama ends and right. um, and Josh McDaniels arrives and uh, I think McDaniels will clearly be a better coach uh, his second time around potentially in the same way that Belichick was so put it all together and I am very very high on the Las Vegas Raiders, their offensive line concerns me if I had a concern. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm, I'm eager to, to see how it all goes and um, look forward to it. Talking again with Rich Eisen here on Raider Nation Radio 920, Unnecessary Roughness. Let's talk about that offensive line. That's the big elephant in the room. How do you think head coach Josh McDaniels addresses that offensive line as it is the, it is the question mark on the team? Well, I, I think what he does is um, is – get that ball out fast, <laughs> you know, and that's yeah. what his offense with Tom Brady for all those years was so terrific at doing, which is see it, know it, get it out. And, um, and so you've got a quarterback that can do it and you've got, um, some incredible threats, um, uh, at the, at the wide receiver position and tight end position to get the ball out to and have matchup problems created. 
Uh, I mean, when you look at Mike, uh, you know, Josh McDaniels' offense, the offense that New England was running, there was Welker and there was Edelman. And now you've got Hunter Renfro, who I think is absolutely as good as those two um, and can create those problems from the slot. And then you've got Waller, who is, um, you know, a Gronk-type player, one would say, in that position. Um, and then Devontae Adams is maybe the best receiver to uh, be run in that Patriot-style offense since Randy Moss. Right. So um, throw it all in, in the hopper, and, you know, the weapons are there, and the quarterback is there to get the ball out fast. Um, the run game, you know, is kind of a mystery to me right now. Uh, either Josh Jacobs is adored to the point where they were running him in the preseason or he's being put on display because they want him out of there. I, I, I can't get a read on that one. Um, but, you know, the numbers of people that I speak to around the league who are um, talking about the AFC West, which is everybody, um, <laughs> thinks that the Raiders' offensive line is, is what's going to hold them back from winning a division, that now features Russell Wilson and uh, an improved Chargers team and a revamped Chiefs team on offense for Tyree Kilgon. I think that's why the opportunity is there for the Raiders to go ahead and do it. You mentioned uh, Julian Edelman, and he was recently a guest on your show, and he's pretty high on the Raiders as well. And especially from a guy that's been there, done that, played in that system, how much did that kind of you know resonate with you when he, he thought that the Raiders were going to be a really good team as well? Um, you know, I... I, I I, I trust in Jules, you know, so um, he he was there actually visiting with the team um, and he sees it firsthand. He knows McDaniels and I, I just like hearing when people echo what I've been saying. I haven't heard that quite. I haven't heard that at all. Right. So, um, you know, um, I haven't heard it um, very much. So I'm kind of out there a little bit on an island. Um, you know, I've already just had my game day morning meeting for next Tuesday's kickoff show on NFL Network, and um, none of the, none of the uh, other guys are going to choose the Raiders to win the division. I kind of like standing out there, and uh, I'm on an island on it, and I'll, I'll either, you know, get off that island or, or, or be marooned on it. I, I, I look forward to finding out because it's going to be a hell of a season starting with Raiders at Chargers in week one. No, it really will be. Uh, excited about that. All of Raider Nation is excited about that trip to L.A., to SoFi Stadium. Again, we're talking with Rich Eisen right now here on Raider Nation Radio 920. And, you know, Rich, one thing that I've been pointing out from being at practice, at training camp and everything, is the attention to detail that Josh McDaniels has and his coaching staff has on everything. And we saw the preseason games. The last one, they only had one penalty for 10 yards. And I don't know how much of that translates into the regular season, but I feel like when you have a lot of backups playing and not the starters and they still have no no turnovers and only one penalty in that final game. That kind of goes a long way to say what kind of team this could potentially be. Yeah, you know, and like I said, it's just going to be a dynamite season. You know, the 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 NFL, uh, AF, the, the AFC is as deep as it's been maybe since I've started covering the the league in two thousand three with NFL Network. It's so deep. Um, and then here in Los Angeles, you've got defending world champion uh, in the Rams who added Bobby Wagner and Allen Robinson and, and uh, appear to be ready to roll one more time here, yeah. um, keeping much of the core of the team together. I don't know. I mean, they, they lost a couple of players, but nobody that I think is going to handicap them to winning at all. Um, so 
the Cowboys are always of interest. Green Bay is the one that lost Devontae Adams. We're eager to see that. The 49ers with their decision to keep the quarterback who yeah. the young second-year player replaced, keep the guy as his backup is something I've never seen in 20 years. So there's just so much interest everywhere. And to me, the Raiders are right up there. You know, it's funny. Uh, I was I had a, a guest on the other day talking about the Panthers because that's a story that really intrigues me as well. Baker Mayfield, Matt Rule, the whole thing, the whole shebang, and then the first game is against the Cleveland Browns. What what are your thoughts on, on the Panthers and what Baker Mayfield could do? Well, I mean, Baker is somebody who uh, had me at hello as a Michigan guy when he planted the flag when he planted the flag in Ohio State. <laughs> um, you know, I I love the guy. I love the guy quite a bit. Um, and I'm rooting for him, you know, um, and, and I, I think he can, um, you know, I think he can really, I, I don't know, the Panthers, I'm not terribly, um, I'm not terribly sold on him, to be right. honest with you. Yeah. And, and so, um, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned that they're going to have enough firepower to get out of their own division, you know? Yeah. So, um, I, I, I do like what he's going to potentially bring. It really is if Christian McCaffrey can finally stay healthy for a change. Um, I'm, I'm eager to see that. Uh, defensively, I don't know how well they're going to do. The coach is on the hot seat. And Tom Brady came out of retirement to stay in their division. So I, I think the Saints are the, the team that can finish second in that division because I think clearly the Bucks win it. So. Right. It does definitely feel that way. And Rich, just got a couple more questions for you. Want to bring it back to the Raiders and wanted to ask you just what you thought about the, the job that the front office has done. You know, they bring in uh, their draft class. Every one of them makes a 53-man roster. And then four undrafted free agents also make the 53-man roster. What does that tell you about the team when, they, when they're able to have a, a staff and a roster like that? I, that's a good question. I mean, uh, you know, the general sense is, well, when somebody picks up a whole bunch of players that got cut by other teams and you take them on, well, then you're, 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 you're kind of desperate to find quality players. Uh, I don't know. Uh, it really is, again, like I said, Josh McDaniel's um, team now, and nobody really knows what that's going to look like. Mm-hmm. Nobody knows what Devontae Adams looks like because they didn't play him in the preseason, and smartly so. And, you know, it's just so rare for a team to pick up somebody as talented at that position um, in, in the prime of his career. It's so rare, and then even more rare, I don't think there's any, you can't compare it, that normally when somebody, you know, joins a new team and they got to hook up with a new quarterback and get on the same page and get a chemistry going and learn one another, well, these two guys go way back. I mean, and they've been trying to play with one another on the same team for quite some time. And I don't think they're going to have to, you know, learn each other. They, they, they already know which one, what, what, what their mannerisms are, what they like and dislike, and what a, what a look might mean pre-snap and, 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 and where to go on the field. And there, there shouldn't be too many miscues coming out of the gate for a new quarterback-wide receiver relationship. That's why I'm so high on it. I, I, I can't wait to see Devontae Adams in the AFC and the AFC West and what the Raiders can do. Um, I think, you know, as you know, the, it'll be a home game for him in Los Angeles week one. Um, you know, the other day I was at an Angels-Yankees game, an uh, game in Anaheim, and they showed a Rams fan on the screen, and there were loud boos. Wow. And I, I'm like, okay, I'm in Orange County, 
And so why would they be booing a Rams fan? I don't think it's that they're all Charger fans and they hate the Rams. Um, I think it's just because there are Raider fans everywhere in Southern California, certainly in Orange County. And um, so I, I think they're, they got a, a nice little leg up in the first game, despite how improved the Chargers are and how many people are high on them to win the division. I, I just kind of dig them. Yeah, I, I do too. I think that they're going to be a, a really good team. And Rich, before we let you go, I know you got a lot of moving and shaking going on with the show right now. A lot of good things coming up. Uh, what can you let us know about this coming on with the Rich Eisen show? Yeah, well, first of all, I love being on this station. The passionate uh, fans that I get calling in, and I love seeing the Vegas, um, you know, the, the, the name of Las Vegas on my call sheet whenever I look down and I see the callers and they're, you know, so-and-so from Vegas is calling. And I, I love it. Um, and I just loved being in Vegas for the draft. I can't wait to be in Vegas for the Super Bowl. I really think the NFL should have one of those two events in Las Vegas every other year, sort of like a, an Olympic-type rotation where the draft and, and the Super Bowl are, are part of, of the Vegas landscape and vice versa uh, two out of every four years and just rotate it. Um, and then, you know, uh, that, so the radio aspect of my show is growing with such a terrific affiliate as, as yours and this one. Uh, and then the television side of things, I moved from Peacock to the Roku channel. Mm. Um, and that's going to come uh, this month. We're testing out the new technology right now. So the, the TV show is coming to all Roku devices, Samsung smart TVs, app, uh, Amazon Fire TVs, uh, through the Roku channel, which is free on all of those uh, platforms. And then the Roku app can be downloaded to any phone or mobile device. And the Roku channel is free there as well. So you can watch it on the go wherever you are. And for those who have been taking in my show over the last couple of years on Peacock, on a desktop, at work, or wherever they are, the RokuChannel.com will have my show streaming on it for free. It's free in every spot. There's no paywall at all, which is what I've, I kind of love about it. So anybody out there wants to call my show any day, any, every day, I'm there. Uh, you want to watch it? I'm basically unavoidable. There's a podcast version all three hours of the <laughs> Cumulus Podcast Network where all podcasts are required, but... Um, I love talking to people. That's why I love doing this on, on NFL Network or Sports Center. Before it, I just didn't have the ability to look down and talk to a human being once to have a conversation, which is what the beauty of radio is. So um, I, I can't wait to have another football season with the the show with my name on NFL Network. It's right around the corner. All right, Rich. I know that you got to run, and Q's going to allow me to get one question in. So many things I would like to ask you, but did better call Saul stick the landing? I thought so. I loved it. You know, we had we had the creator of the show on Vince Gilligan two weeks ago out of a forty two minute appearance by him like a like an exit interview. Um, you know, and it's so difficult to end a program, certainly when it's the uh spin off of another program. Uh I thought they I thought they crushed it. Um, you know, uh it left some some to be sat, you know, unsatisfied, but um, you know, I don't want to spoil it for too many people, but I, I thought the ending was great. I thought it left you thinking. I thought it answered a lot of questions. And uh, I thought it was beautifully done. I there did. it is. Did you? <laughs> wow. Just a bigger fan. Grown. <laughs> there it is. I have okay. no idea. Rich, I'm totally okay. out of the loop when it comes to that. I, I'm, I'm sports, okay. and that's all I get. So <laughs> All good, but thanks for asking. Hey, yeah. Rich, thank you so much for your time. Keep up the you fantastic work, and congratulations you. on your new platforms. Thanks. Let's do it again. All right, will do. There he goes. Rich Eisen from the Rich Eisen Show. Heard right here on Raider Nation Radio, 920, 10 to noon. 
and uh, right before JT the Brick and right after the morning tailgate. Many, many thanks to Rich. It's been an interview in the works that we've been working on a few weeks now and definitely appreciate Rich taking some time out of his busy schedule. And believe me, I think I'm busy. That dude's very, very busy. So much appreciated to Rich Eisen for joining us for a few minutes here on Raider Nation Radio 920. 447 is the time. Take a quick break. Come back. Close out the show. This is Raider Nation Radio 920. It's an early season showdown in college football as Notre Dame travels to the Ohio State for some action on the gridiron. Saturday at 4 on ESPN Las Vegas. Hey, Raider Nation. This is Bruce Buffer, and you're listening to Raider Nation Radio 920. It's time! Welcome back to Unnecessary Roughness. Unnecessary Roughness. Here on Raider Nation Radio 920. Here's your boy Q. Many thanks again to Rich Eisen for joining us in that last segment. Check out Rich Eisen, 10 to noon, here on Raider Nation Radio 920. Right before JT the Brick. Got a text on the Salmon Ash text line from Raider at T. Thanks, Rich, for being the mainstream Raider Nation voice. And I said this way back when, what, OTAs were going on? I said, man, I don't know if y'all are listening, but Rich Eisen is talking up the Raiders a lot. A lot. And I know it was kind of was like, eh, well, you know, there was, you know, there was some, some folks that weren't hesitating, you know, kind of hesitant to, to be like, oh, okay, cool, that's, that's cool. But when I had the conversation I had with him in Canton, Ohio, about the Raiders, I mean, it was even better, honestly, than the interview that we just did. <laughs> I mean, seriously, just because it was just organic, it was us just sitting around talking shooting the bull, watching Diana Ross, having a couple beverages. And, I mean, there's a lot to like about this team. And, you know, again, he you know, even mentioned the fact that the offensive line is the only question. But outside of that, and that's Josh McDaniels. I mean, that's his job to, to figure out how to kind of remedy that issue, right? I mean, we talked to Mike Clay from ESPN earlier, and he's like, hey, that's, that's Josh McDaniels' wheelhouse. Figure it out, you know, and, and that's all you can really do, figure it out. Something that he did when he was in New England. And obviously the offensive line coach, uh, Dante Scarnecchi, obviously had a lot to do with it as well. A really good uh, offensive line coach. But that's something that he was able to do. Get the ball to Brady's hands. And the one thing, and I'm not trying to compare Carr to Brady. Let me go ahead and throw that out there right now because someone will be like, oh, my God, do you hear cues? No, I didn't say that. Carr gets the ball out of his hands quickly. One, he's had to because he's had offensive lines before he had the really strong offensive line. He's had offensive lines that aren't very good. And he's had to do that or else he would get killed. And, you know, the thing I I think about the offensive line, I'll say this. And this is not how I think that any team should approach it. But we know it's it's worked. If you think about the Cincinnati Bengals, their offensive line was awful last year. Awful. Joe Burrow got sacked a franchise record in the regular season 51 times. And then got sacked another, what, 15 or 16 times in the Super Bowl. And ultimately, or not Super Bowl, but in the playoffs – and the Super Bowl, and ultimately lost the Super Bowl because he was getting pummeled, right? Aaron Donald wrecked it, but then again, Aaron Donald wrecks everything. But they made it to the Super Bowl, and they had a terrible offensive line. Again, I'm not suggesting that, you know, the Raiders just say, oh, what the hell with it? You know, the Bengals were able to make it work. Just, I, I bring that up because there's ways to make it work. Let's put it like that. That's, that's why I say it. There's ways to make it work. Is it ideal? No. Not at all. Do I want to see Derek Carr have to go through that? Absolutely not. 
You know, I, I know Derek Carr is not a guy that's going to run around the yard and keep a bunch of plays alive, and I know Joe Burrow is probably young and probably dumb enough, and this is, and I say it respectfully, he's dumb enough to still do that, right, and run around the yard and, and try to avoid getting pummeled and still gets pummeled. So, again, not suggesting that that's what Derek Carr does. Uh, the ideal situation is for him to be protected, have a nice pocket, and be able to sling the ball from that pocket because uh, he can get it done. So that that's what ideally is. But I do think there's a chance that Josh McDaniels can, you know, scheme up some plays, come up with some stuff that will help him get the ball out of his hand quickly and still put themselves in position to make plays. Is it going to be a bunch of, you know, nine routes, deep shots? No. You know, you're not going to have the opportunity to do that if you, if you don't have good protection. Every once in a while you could dial that up, but you won't be able to do that all the time. So, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how Josh McDaniels, how he works things out, how he comes up with what he's coming up with to put this team in position to be successful offensively. I, I do think that you're going to see a successful team. I really do. been saying it for a while. I feel very comfortable in saying this team is going to be really good. Just the question is, you know, how is this division going to shake out? Because the division is so stacked, at least on paper, it's stacked. Now, there could always be, and maybe we'll have this conversation on tomorrow's show, there's always a team that you don't see coming. Like, we didn't see the Bengals coming last year. I didn't. You know, as, as good as they were, I, I kept waiting for that shoe to drop. Okay, yeah, but, yeah, but. There's always a team that goes from, you know, worst to first. They're always a bad team that turns good. So, you know, there's – We'll see something like that next year. Who knows who it's going to be. But on the flip side of that, we'll see a team that was really good all of a sudden be really bad. And that's a good question. Who's that going to be? Could that be a team in the AFC West? Is that a team that's going to come from another division? Obviously, we don't know until it happens. But it always happens. There's always a team that's really good and just something. They have a terrible string of luck like the Ravens last year. Remember, they got riddled with all those injuries before the season even started. They're, they're expected to be the team with the most improvement this upcoming year just because, well, they have their guys back. But they, I mean, nobody saw all those injuries coming, and they got hit with them. And, of course, nobody's out rooting for injuries. But whatever circumstances the circumstances, why a team goes from being really good to being really bad. So we'll see how it all shakes out. We'll be back tomorrow, 2 o'clock, closing things out strong. We'll get to Phil Villapiano and a whole lot more. Make sure you wake up with the morning tailgate, 7 a.m. to 10 a.m., right here on the flagship of the Raiders, Raider Nation Radio 920.